This podcast was created by a group of educators for the sole purpose of talking through innovative education at Mandan Public Schools. Providing a focus on innovation, higher level learning, and deeper thinking strategies using the SAMR model, this is the SAMR Soundbite. Welcome to the sixth episode of the SAMR Soundbite, where we dive deeper into teaching and learning. This is Jeff, and I'm joined by Mark, Van, Ryan, and Julie tonight for the podcast. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping notes here before we begin. First, you'll notice an absence on our usual panel tonight, as Perry has continued the trend of people involved in the podcast getting injured. So we uh, give him our best wishes for a speedy recovery. Um, and we need his voice back, too, because it's, you know, Perry's just a tad opinionated. So it's fun to have him here. Second, we want to issue a happy early congratulations to Julie on her daughter's pending nuptials. I still can't talk, but we're going on from this point. Um, Julie was kind enough, crazy enough. I'm not sure which adjective I want to use there to uh, carve some time out of her day to come out here. So thanks, Julie, Absolutely. for coming out. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Except for planning the wedding. <laughs> so moving forward, Ryan and I had the for- fortune. We were fortunate. We were something enough to be able to travel out to Philadelphia and partake in its tea. Um, 2019 for nearly a week. Uh, of course, we were able to take in the history of Philly, the cheesesteaks and baseball. It was a good night. And cheesesteaks. And more cheesesteaks, a lot of cheesesteaks. Um, most importantly, though, we saw a lot of things we were able to bring back to Mandan and help improve education. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Ryan. Go ahead, man. Talk about our time out in Philly. Yeah, well, there were a lot of people, and um, <clears throat> it was definitely a uh, it was definitely an experience to uh, – to kind of get the whole perspective on tech and education, um, you know, there were the there were the Google sessions and the Apple sessions, and there was the Microsoft sessions, and all these companies trying to sell stuff. Um, but I think the one thing that I took away um, from most of the most of the presenters was just a continuous uh, reinforcement that tech is just a tool. It's just there to aid in teaching and learning. It's there to. Um, <laughs> Matt is drawing a massive tool with his hands right now. So <laughs> that's episode four, I believe, for those of you who want to go back to that. Yes. <laughs> Technology is isn't gonna replace teaching. And you know, good teaching practices are are the same today as they were, you know, thirty years ago as they were hundred years ago. It's about relationships with kids, it's about relationships among the staff. Um, that stuff doesn't really change. The tech side of it just contributes to access to information, the ability to record thoughts, and the ability for, um, you know, for people to express what they know in different ways. Uh, but the actual, you know, teaching, that was a constant, uh, you know, in many of the sessions, it was not all about the tech. It was about how do you use it to its fullest potential. And it always came down to, um, you know, to teaching and turning over you know, some ownership to the kids as well, which tech allows you to do a little bit more easily. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was really cool to see the uh, see a lot of the other schools, talk to a lot of the other teachers to see where they were at as districts. And, and you know, sometimes you get into that, that wormhole of, you know, we're, we're behind, we're behind, we're behind. And then you hear some people talking and you're like, wait, no, we're actually on the right path. Some of these schools are doing a lot of good things. Um, one of the first sessions I went to was on a one-to-one session and it was really interesting. I mean, it wasn't a big session, but of all the schools that were there, including the one that was presenting, I felt like we were playing right up there with a lot of those schools, if not ahead of all of them, except for maybe that school that was presenting. 
Um, and with them, I think we were just a shade behind. And so that was really neat to, to take that in. Um, it was nice that the district was willing to send us out. I mm -hmm. think it's been, have you gone, Julie? No, no, I have not. I know Mark has. And was the last time in Philly that you guys were out? I think so, and that was 10 years ago. So it, it was nice, I think, for Mandan to make a little bit of a presence there again. Um, we saw Bismarck was there, Grand Forks was there, um, Fezzedin was there. Williston was out. I'm trying to think. Fargo, I think Fargo, was there. yeah, Had a couple reps too. So, so it was it was nice to, as a North Dakota school, be out there with some of those other North Dakota schools that are starting to become trendsetters. Um, and so that was pretty interesting. Um, so as we continue on this path of, of talking about ways to educate and engage students, uh, some big news out of Mandan, State of North Dakota this week. For those of you guys who maybe missed that article in the Tribune. Right, the esports program. I think they're, if I'm not correct, it's 12 schools right now in the state of North Dakota that have signed up for esports. Um, and so that's really going to be the topic we're going to talk about today, or, or at least for this spot. Um, starting to include more, I, I said non traditional sports, but really I should probably go on to like non traditional activities. You know, obviously we're seeing esports. Um, schools a couple years ago introduced trap shooting uh, to, you know, as, as another way to entice our students. Um, a couple months ago on ESPN, I was watching the NCAA spike ball tournaments, like Texas A&M versus Georgia. It was awesome. If you especially if you like spike ball, like Have awesome. Yes, cornhole yes, too? yes. That's it's way more intense than the weekend. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I want to pose this to the group. I mean, will all of this stuff increase student engagement? Uh, is it worth the money? And then is there something else that we're missing? onto this point too as well. So I'll, I'll kind of leave that open question to the group. Is this a good thing? Is this, was this worth the cost? What do we think? I think it's a, I think it's a really kind of a smart thing um, when you start to tie some of this stuff in with the school um, to be able to use some of the advantages that um, athletics and fine arts has where the school can have a little bit of say over who participates based on grades and attendance and behavior and those kinds of things. I think that that can be a really positive um, when you when you add that that piece to it um, because this is this is engaging a group of people that is already doing this outside of school. They're already engaging in you know competitive online gaming on teams. They're using all these teamwork aspects, but now it's going to be more directly, you know, it more more directly taught, right? That this these are the these this is the skill set that you're using. And so I think that that's a that's a positive. You know one of the pieces I've heard on that is that a lot of those gamers traditionally they're they're one off, right? They're by themselves and they're maybe gaming with people in different parts of the world. So their communication skills aren't as strong, and that's been the big piece that I've heard. We, we've heard that from uh, Chris Hokel in Jamestown, is that now all of a sudden you have this group of kids who are in the same room and now have to really communicate mm -hmm. together, and that's frustrating for those those players. Um, what else? I mean, anybody else with thoughts? Trying to think of, you know, what's the purpose of the other competitive sports that we have? Football, volleyball basketball you know is it to graduate them on to a professional you know sports team is it to develop interpersonal skills 
you know, and that that team and having kind of a a personal stake and working hard as a group, you know, learning to deal with other people. Uh, not everybody goes on to play professional sports. Uh, you know, I, trying to think of the last professional sports individual other than Carson Wentz, you know, Darren Erstad, um, Kleinsauser. You know, we can probably name the professional athletes from North Dakota. I've got to just throw one out, Mandan High alum, Jay Flaw, who's yeah. in AAA. Oh, but, sorry, but, Jay. But yeah. exactly your point is that. Yeah, everybody else has transitioned yeah. into, okay, this is a lifelong sport for me if, if it's something that they want to keep up um, or transition into something else. It's, those are skills, soft skills, that, that work well. You know, when you start going out for a job interview, and they see that you're involved with sports, uh, with a team activity, that you've been part of a team and can work well with others, that just speaks well uh, for you getting involved with their uh, business or their, um, their group. So I, I'm, thinking that, I'm thinking that we're trying to develop those lifelong skills and the more sports that we can bring in, the more opportunities that we can give the kids to participate and and get that experience. I, I think that's great. And a lot of this, a lot of the things that are coming in now, you know, aren't, you know, in the long run. I guess I'd rather know where my my kids are at. You know, I I always knew where they were at because generally I dropped them off, um, and then would have to pick them up. But you know what your kids are doing, you know who they're doing that with. Uh, you have some sort of guidance or mentorship, you know, from a coach of some sort. Uh, I, I see that as all, all good and positive within our system. Ben? thought of including all because I just think the more kids that we can get involved the better 
And this is another avenue in which to get another group of kids come into the school to do something constructive and valuable and, and for them to feel those that love this sport. That's not really a sport prior to now it is, they're calling it that, but before I don't know if we ever looked at it like a sport. And now they're, they're really feeling validated. I can't imagine what it must feel like for those kids that are now going to be participating in this. They are going to be doing something that they love and being validated for it instead of, I think there was that mentality of um, those gamers, where that's all they do is sit around and game all day and you know, almost like that's a waste of time. But we're now we're really looking at it differently and we're valuing that piece of what they do just like we value the time spent practicing basketball or practicing baseball. And so it's getting more kids involved. How can you go wrong in that sense? I think it's a great thing. I think we should continue to look for other avenues to get groups of kids involved and bring them in as much as we can. Yeah, and I know uh, this last year I had one of the very active trap shooters in, in my dual credit class. And she talked about trap shooting all the time. You know, in the fall, in the spring, she talked about it all the time. She always wanted to talk about it, and she just lit up when she talked about it because it was something that the school was supporting. It was, you know, she had trap shot before. I had her when she was a freshman, never talked about it. You know, but when the school supports it, when it's a part of things that they see on the wall, they, they talk about it with their friends, they have teammates in class, it just, it changes it. It changes that perspective, like you were saying, well, they just sit around and game. Well, no, they're choosing to show up to the location that the school has set up during the times that have been agreed upon. That's a lot different perspective on that activity than they stay up till 4 a.m you know, in, in their basement by themselves. I think that's a lot different. Well, like Julie said, too, there was that perception of gamers, right? I mean, all they do is smoke weed, drink, and, and I stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that's, that was that perception of gamers where, yeah, you're right, in reality, that's, it's a whole nother, yeah. whole nother group of students. One of the things that Van also brought up now was, was as he was talking about, you know, activities department understanding this. Um, when, when we used to, Legacy and I were emailing each other back and forth. We're going to be posting that coaching job, I think, sometime in the next, maybe this week, might be next week. I'm not 100% sure when. But we had talked about, okay, what are the things that we have to add there? And so obviously it has to be a knowledge of, of the sports we're going to be offering. And then we, were, we put another bullet point, like must be able to do some quick troubleshooting, you know, to help the kids. And then the third bullet point is don't ask the AD business manager or technology director what to do because none of us have any clue what this is about. Will that coach have to be CPR? Probably. But when you talked about the little bit of that, that sports overhead, that got me thinking a little bit. Something I haven't thought about before is this is a whole new realm of world that we're talking about here. When you start talking bringing in eSports, when you start talking um, robotics, and some of the other things that we can even do in the elementary, you know, I mean, the traditional AD, you know, from when Ryan's dad was the AD of Madden Public Schools, right, he dealt with the sports. And, and now we're going to see that shift as well, where, where Mark is going to have to have some level of understanding of what, you know, Rocket League is. It, it, it's going to be an interesting change. Right? But if we're getting more students involved, 
right? I mean, that's that's the goal, right, is, is to increase engagement. If we can get our students involved, we can get them more actively coming to school. If we can get them avoiding drinking until 4 o'clock in the morning while playing video games, I mean, I suppose that's a good thing, right? Yeah, that's exactly Surge. what I was talking about. That's exactly Surge. what I was talking about. Um, do, do any of you know the percentages of kids that are involved in one extracurricular activity at Mandan? Or two, or Man, you know, honestly, if we had like been smart and we actually like proactively think about our questions before we get going, I probably could have gotten the research to answer that one. Well, we're so hodgepodge here. <laughs> we don't know There's no we research. We're, we're not supposed to be researching. I mean, no. that's the fun of this. Yeah. But that'd be interesting to see. And and then after once this kind of takes hold, to take a look at that those participation percent percentages. And, and let's just say we have twenty percent of our kids in at least one activity. And if we can get that up to 25, 30%, that's, a, that's an amazing percentage of our kids right. that are now going to have to do something in school a little bit more intensely. Um, else they're going to be ineligible. So, so this will probably lend its way onto another podcast because I actually have this in our list of topics. But this kind of goes, I'm going to go with the, the Minot high school mine and public schools conundrum right now right i mean they have how many students in their school it's like 1800 something like that right i mean it's a ton of kids you know and we talk about right if we only have 20 percent, well could we get more students if we had more than one varsity basketball team or more than one varsity volleyball team you know in this case i mean we did the survey for esports the amount of kids who said they'd be willing and i'm quotation marking that willing to do this was like 120 some kids that was nine through 11. So incoming sophomores through seniors, 120 kids. So let's just hypothetically say we got 30% of those. That's still 40 kids. That's a good marking of students. I mean, you know, and, and so on that mark of what you're saying, is it feasible that maybe schools should start looking at that? You know, and that's something my dad and I have talked about. At my <coughs> 1,800 kids, you probably should have two varsity teams. You know, I, I don't, is that a mm -hmm. is that a feasible solution to to a problem, or is it just a mythical problem? I don't know. Okay. I, I have a feeling that would turn into another problem, but like well, uh, like far far with Legion teams. Yep. There's, mm -hmm. yep. there's two Legion teams: the Legion team that's to win, and the Legion team that's yep. to participate. Yeah. But that, that's that's a whole other. But this whole thing, like when, you know, over the past year at Innovation, we've come to, are we just willing to do, are we just trying to do um, obsolete things better, or are we really trying to do better things? And, you know, that kind of comes to that big question. It's a, it's, it's not something that people actually want to have to really think about and talk about because it's hard questions. You know, having two basketball teams at one school would be like, Oh, there are all these problems that, that come out. But those are the kinds of questions that this podcast we were supposed to talk about, you know, that kind of stuff too, you know, just. You know what, I think the Mayan basketball coach at one point, I don't know who it was, but I heard he, he said they have a state, state quality basketball team walking their hallways that don't even play basketball. Well, why are those kids not playing basketball? Why can't we get those kids involved in something else? Why why can't they still be involved? If it's esports, if it's basketball, why can't they still be involved? Why are they being cut? 
And, and for the record, I don't want to sound like I'm dogging mine out here. I mean, West Fargo was dealing with this 10 years ago, you know, 12 years ago. Yeah, Fargo's have been dealing with this. And, you know, this isn't yeah, just sure. just them. I mean, but it, it's a it's a global question, you know, it's, and exactly for that reason. And I think a lot of our schools, especially Class A schools, have numerous athletes walking the halls. And I'm just focusing on athletes now that would participate if the opportunity was was there for, for their situation was a little different correct and, yeah in the way that that sport has traditionally been set up right you know where you have a team you know the next town has a team yep. and you get together and then play against each other the the technology allows multiple teams at multiple schools you know to to play and and there isn't a, okay well you're the varsity sorry you're the junior varsity it, it you know it allows us to do some of that um it you know not that they have to choose something else but that we just get to include you know there's inclusion of more kids uh among those 12 schools you know could we have 24 teams could we have 36 teams you know if you have enough interest right. Does that warrant, okay, we need 10 kids for, you know, a team. And then, okay, we've got one, two, all right. Mandan's got three teams this year. And instead of the classification of, well, you have to have so many kids in high school uh, to be class A. If not, then you drop down to class B. You know, you've got some schools that are kind of, that's the very traditional method or, or process that the athletics side of it has has had to deal with um the athletic side i think poses more problems because if there's a traditional framework for it so to try to bust out of that framework takes a whole lot of changing of thinking mm-hmm. where if this is a brand new avenue for north dakota there isn't that traditional framework to that we're, we're creating it as yeah, as we yeah. go along here uh using some of the some of the structured experiences of the past but you know while having people like us ask those questions of well why can't we have three teams you know what's going to prevent us from from doing that well we may not have enough equipment um there there are lots of questions that that could come up uh, but it, it does open up that that opportunity that it could be a reality for for change. Yeah, and, and what if, take uh, some small schools, what if a, a small school has three kids that are interested and they can acquire the technology, can they pair up with another small school? And traditionally in athletics, it's in the county, in the next county, mm-hmm. 30 miles away, but it really could be a small school in the northeast part of the state and they're one team, you know? They, and so the, that geographic piece when you go online, it removes the barriers. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm thinking of, and I'll pose this question to Julie, is, you know, being as you're in the elementary, you're with the elementary a lot more, is this something you see that we could push down? To, like, I'm thinking three, four, and five. It might be tough K through two, but, you know, and, and maybe what, what would that look like? I, mean, I definitely know that the interest is there. The kids talk about it. They're doing it already. So I, in terms of interest and ability, 
it's there. You, you know the interest is there because when I was in school, the talk was girls. Now, what are they talking about when they come to school? <laughs> they talk about games that they're playing. Hey, did you see I hit, hit in a bush for 45 minutes <laughs> on Fortnite? And then I, I won. I won because all he talked about was hiding in the bush in Fortnite. It's like, I don't know what that means. Like, what are you but that that's, was their conversation. There is definitely gonna, there is definitely interest. That That's what drives these kids a lot of times. Parents say, hey, you're not getting your stuff done. I'm, take, I'm taking the power cord away from whatever your device is. Oh. Stuff's gonna get done. Yeah, stuff's gonna get done. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's let's wrap this up here. Let's let's one word this conversation here. So, I'm for Van. It is one word. So, we've talked about non-traditional sports. What would be your your one word for what this presents? Inclusion. Ooh, good start, Van. No one can take that one. You just gave a traditional answer <laughs> to a, a discussion about non-traditional. <laughs> How non-traditional of you, then? <laughs> Thank you. Right. That's a lame answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna say exciting. All right, Mark. Possibilities. Julie. I'm going to say what I'm excited about, and that is just more, meeting more kids, involvement in the school. Cool. Inclusion, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got fancy words over there. That's why I jumped right away. Yeah, put, put that dictionary away, yeah, will you? I got the dollar word. I got the 25-cent word. Yeah. <laughs> I was just happy I got through the four of you without using my words, So, because I was going with opportunities, but I mean, but I think it's a plan. Possibilities, yeah. opportunities. Hmm. Inclusion. It's all, it's all there. So after attending ITSE, uh, Ryan and I realized we need to do a better job of highlighting the, uh, the things that our, our Macs, iPads, and other educational tools can do. So I'm going to kind of try to flip this onto more of our podcast here. But uh, this week, Ryan's going to introduce to us a quick, easy tool about we're doing the camera, right? Yeah. That's what you said. Okay, yeah. So we're going to yeah. do the iPad, iPhone, camera. Yeah. So um, at ISTE, I got really excited when I signed up for ISTE because there was a food walk, and I'm a huge food guy. And I went on a food walk that had no food. I don't know how that happens, but I mean, they gave us a pretzel at the beginning, but it was like eight o'clock in the morning and it was cold and that was a little disappointing, but um, the, the idea was just to explore the tools that come on your, you know, your iPad or your iPhone or, or something like that. And so um, we took a lot of pictures and I had, I, you know, when you swipe left or right, you get all the options for the different types of cameras. Um, and I had kind of played around with it, but I didn't know the application to it. And so just learning some pretty cool applications for the camera uh, was pretty awesome. So like uh, time-lapse, where it takes a picture, uh, like four pictures every so often, uh, you can just time-lapse over, over time. You just hold it still, and it'll continue to take that picture. And then it makes a, a video out of it. You know, so we stopped at traffic and just like time-lapse traffic. And you can see the cars go by and it makes a pretty cool, cool. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Never done that before. And exactly, you know, you <laughs> see it there, but you don't actually, yeah, you don't think it. that you're gonna use it, right? Um, but my favorite one with, with time-lapse is if you take time-lapse and then you walk someplace. So now you speed up that time-lapse and you create a hyperlapse. 
And so it's like those fast videos that you see where you go really someplace really fast. And so um, walking around the area that we were going for the morning for, you know, 30 seconds or something like that, I, I hyperlapsed something. And so that was pretty cool. I think that would be a really good like day in the life of a student type thing. Um, you could do that in between classes, that kind of stuff. Um, and just the more people I think know about those little things, I think the educational side comes out. Like where could you use that in education, right? Like I think biology time lapse would be really easy to use in biology. If you were studying um, how the sun moves and to show shadows over time, like that kind of stuff, it works. And it's not just a video, right? It's, it's those pictures which speeds it up a little bit. Um, my favorite one was this um, using Pano. And so you go to Panoramic, um, and then the, the, the point was to create a panoramic video or a panoramic photo with the same person in the photo multiple times. And so they showed this panoramic of this guy, and he was in the photo three times. And it, he was wearing the same stuff. I was like, that has to be Photoshopped. And it's not. It's not. It's pretty, uh, pretty cool. Um, so you take the panoramic and you will pano until that person, you pano a little bit past them, and then you stop the pano. You don't like hit stop, you just hold the phone still, and then you have the person go around behind the camera. They reappear, do something else, pano to them, and then you could, that's two, or you could do three or four or whatever. So um, Jeff and I each took a pano in front of Independence Hall where we're standing on two different sides of the George Washington statue, and we look like we're duplicated, like we met our twin or something like that. And I think that that kind of stuff uh, is something I'm going to incorporate in the classroom. I'm going to take that picture, and I'm going to put it in front of the class. I'm going to say, you have a week to figure out how to do it. I'm, I'm just going to show them it. You have a week to figure out how to do it. It has no content purpose for me, but it'll get kids to think. How do, how do you create that? Um, and I'm going to tell them it's not Photoshop. Like, you have to figure out how to do that. And so I think that those little, those little tricks um, could really, you know, the more people know about it, they could really have some, I think, some pretty cool applications to education. So that was, that was a really cool not food food walk. So he, he came back and, and was telling me all about this. And so, like you said, we took the picture at Independence Hall. It's actually the banner on my Twitter account, so at Jeff Rarick, um on Twitter. You can actually see one of those pictures that we took. The other fun thing for us is I took a hyperlapse um, when we got off the plane from Philly to Minneapolis. Uh, thanks to some weather, we were pretty far behind. And so um, one of us had to run quickly. The other one of us had to prevent himself from having a heart attack. I'll let you two figure <laughs> out which one that was. Um, but I took a hyperlapse video of me huffing and puffing after jungling. Down the, down the ramps in Minneapolis trying to get to our next gate in time. Um, it's my, my wife called me a, kind of a moron after she watched it. She's like, that's pretty funny. But you can actually see the spot where I missed the, the um, walkway, you know, the motorized walkways, and so I had to run. And so my time lapse or my hyperlapse is just me bobbing up and down a whole bunch. But um, it, it, was, it was pretty neat, and, and I've actually had a ton of fun with it since I've come home and, and mm -hmm. taken pictures with it too. So... Um, it's definitely a cool little trick, something that's, that's fun to do. The slow motion is pretty neat, too. You can yeah. get some really cool shots yeah. in slow motion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and here's another one. Uh, so 
if you want to take a picture of a building but you're really close to the building, it gets really hard to take a picture all the way up the building or you get it kind of cut off or something. And so you pan vertical. So you flip your, you're going to get on an iPhone, you get all kinds of warnings. Like it'll, you know, kind of like you shouldn't be going this way because it goes op- opposite of what it's designed to do. But you just flip your, horse, uh, your, your phone horizontal and you pano and you pano up a building and it creates a pretty cool effect. Um, I got one where the sun was right above the building. And so it looked like the building just went on forever because it ended up being just kind of washed out at the top. That was, that was really cool too. And I really wish we had video simulcasting this because man, since we started talking about this, has gotten up and walked around the room. He's been taking pictures. He's, which is actually really cool because that's what we want to have happen. And, yeah. and we're hoping those people yeah. are listening thanks, to this are doing the for, same thing. Thanks but for singling me out for trying stuff. Well, Julie was too, but you're the only one who actually got up and started walking around the room. And I, I have to say that uh, the timeless one of me walking around kind of made me a little sick. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fast. <laughs> so moving on to our. Um, second to last topic here this week, uh, we got an email, I think it was about a week ago, a week and a half ago from, from Mark, uh, introducing us to an article on GetPocket.com addressing the correlation between screen time and young people's psychological well-being. Um, something that we've, we've talked about, we've heard a ton, I, both Julie and I, but probably more Julie than me, um, as we roll out Ignite to the younger levels. Um, and, and really what it is, is, is what the article is saying. There's no correlation. Uh, maybe there is, maybe there's not. But the real article really says there's no correlation. The technology is like many other things. Um, it's just another tool. It's another tool that we use. Um, and, and Marcus sent us some emails about this too. You know, it's the same vein as fire, what fire was to the caveman, right? You know, how it was this big revolutionary thing and the printing press to the golden ages, electricity and, and so on. It's that fear of the unknown. Um, so, Julie, being as I, I th- when I'm going to go ahead and say I'm probably not reaching out too much of a limb here. You've probably heard the most concerns out of all of us about this. What you've read the article, what are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I think a lot of teachers want to have this discussion because they are concerned. You can read the articles that are out there. And I have to say, this is probably one of the first ones that I've read that speaks differently in terms of it not necessarily being something that we need to be focused on. But what I just, this would I just, feel is most important and it really goes along with what we were talking about earlier van you were saying about it being tools and ryan talking about it's a tool so think about any tool that you use in an elementary classroom if at the end of the day when you reflect on what your students did if what's in your head is that you know what every time i looked at my kids today they had scissors in their hands and they were cutting all day long well okay well maybe you need to really take a look at the amount of time spent cutting. If you're reflecting in your day and all you think of with your kids is that they're staring at an iPad screen all day, that's a problem as well. It's a tool, and so no matter what tool your kids are using, if they're doing it all day long, then it's definitely a concern, but if they're using multiple tools in multiple ways, that's what we want to have happen. We don't want them on iPads all day. But I do think there's a difference between using a tool for learning versus using a tool to accomplish something like uh, maybe they're grabbing the tool because they're going to take a picture of what they did that they're now going to submit to the teacher. So they're using an iPad for that, but they're using it for a very short time. Maybe they're using the tool to get their instruction, 
they're using the iPad, they're getting their instruction, that iPad's then off to the side and they're going to do their activity, whatever it might be. So we might be right now really focused on the tool, which is the iPad and Canvas, and it seems like we're advocating for all this technology time or all this screen time, but that's really not the case. It's really taking a look at what are the kids doing throughout the day, and when you reflect on what they spent a majority of their time on, if it's cutting all day, then by the next day you need to relook at that and maybe make some changes in what your uh, expectation was for that day. So I tend to feel that regardless of what the research says about screen time in the classroom, we do need to look at what tool are they on? What tools are they using? We need to make sure that they're getting a variety of tools, technology being just one of the many tools that they use. And if they aren't getting to use a variety of tools throughout their day, we as teachers can control that. We change that then. Then the next day, I'm gonna make some changes and we're not gonna have a scissor in our hands all day long today. We're gonna use something else. We're gonna make sure we incorporate other things. So that's kind of how I look at it, and I, I know there's a lot of research out there that uh, advocates for why screen time is bad and how it affects brain, and I just feel like in what we're doing in the elementary, and especially with KE2 getting on board, that the things that we're developing and the activities that we're creating and the instruction that we are incorporating with using Canvas, we still, regardless of what the research says, good or bad, Ultimately, we need to look at it as a tool and how much time are they spending using any of those tools. So that's kind of how I feel about it. That's really well put, Julie. I, I yeah. fully agree with you. I'm glad you said it and not me because you said it way more <laughs> eloquently than I would have. Um, there's, a, there's a quote in the, the article here um, talking about how we urgently need to iterate the old theories of child rearing, making sure the essential values and principles, compassion, kindness, respect, and integrity remain relevant, even as the economic and technological, tr technolo technological trends change. You know, and really it's what we, t we talk about this a lot, right? It's that relationship piece, too, is, is you can have all the tools in the world. If you still can't build that relationship piece, it's really not going to matter. And really, Julie, that's, that's what you're saying here is, yeah, I, I really like the scissors thing. I, I've never thought of it that way, and that was kind of eye-opening for me to hear a place like that. Yeah, if you're just focused on the tool, you're missing the point of the tool. Yeah, and to go along with that, uh, right at the end of the article, uh, the author says, ultimately what matters most is that we provide our children with a sense of agency and autonomy by teaching them that tools don't use us, we use them. And, you know, I, I think to... All of the, you know, our, all of our focus at innovation and just, just to move forward in education in, in general, uh, student agency is such a big part of that. And that's where the technology has such a vast uh, possibility to increase student agency. When you think about, um, you know, just paper, pencil, and that world, you could make a a poster, you could maybe, you know, act out a skit or something like that, right? You could, you could write an essay, you could draw something, uh, but now you can do all of those things, record them, share them with the greater world, you can create animations, like all of these, all of these other elements that can start to give or provide and, and kind of allow for more student agency all at the same time. Well, Go ahead, Mark. 
one of the things that we're forgetting or maybe not thinking about right now is that the technology that we're using right now is going to be replaced by something else. And we're spending so much time worried about this as a, oh no, this is the end. Just like television was the end when it first came out. Um, and MTV, you know, reality those TV little, afterwards. Those, <laughs> yeah, what, whatever it may be. You know, we focus so much on that as being the, the societal evil. And this is going to be replaced by something not too far down the road. It, it, it's a changing, I don't want to say a changing target, but uh, things change. And you have an opportunity to, to kind of allow those changes to be part of what you do and kind of figure out how to use them best or kind of sit and just, you know, complain about them and, and say that, you know, things are going bad because uh, having, uh, being the oldster in the room and having seen, you know, from, from way back, um, I, I think this is just going to pass and, and there's going to be something else. And I, I like the study. I like the study uh, because it did say that the correlations, you know, weren't showing that uh, the screen time that a digital device, you know, was as horrible. Uh, I think in one part they even said that if kids watch or had over seven hours of screen time, that there was a slight uptick in positive um positive reactions from the kids and they had no explanation for that it, it's just a it's another thing of how we do things today and we're not going to get away from it and I think we just need to to kind of have that balance you know and, and realize what we're doing why we're doing it make sure that things are relevant to the kids whether it involves a device that has a screen on it or not you know, that, that's another story. Um, but there is going to be something else further on down the line here. Come on, people. And my wife 
is doing like, oh no. Like, that's what, when she road rages, that's what she says. So he's driving <laughs> in the car with my wife and she said, come on people, now he starts to mimic her. And I said, so he's learning more from your human interactions. The, your human interactions are not being replaced by the screen time. So, and that, that was kind of, I was being a little bit of a devil advocate on her. The interactions that you two are having are still having more of an impact on him than Gigantosaurus um, is having. And it, there's a point in the article that says, these results don't suggest we should stop thinking about how to best raise children to thrive in a connected world. What, what it's saying is not, don't stop thinking about this. It's just another data point of, okay, it's not, what we're, what's happening is not overly bad like we think it is. One of the arguments I hear a lot about screen time is it's the, the Silicon Valley, right? The execs don't send their kids to schools that have one-to-one -one and, and technologies and all this stuff. And, and this was actually a conversation that we had from our, our doctoral cohort um, that was on our email group serve about something like this. And, and I haven't responded to it yet, and, and I don't know if I will. Um, but one of the things that frustrates me is, yeah, right? It's great if Mark Zuckerberg doesn't feel like his kids should have screen time at school. That's great. Guess what Mark Zuckerberg's kids when they go get when they get home? Whatever they need. I mean, if they need, they, they're going to program on an Xbox. He's going to give them an Xbox, right? If they're going to need a Mac, he's gonna, they're going to have a Mac. I mean, that, that's that, that discrepancy, right, between, you know, levels, but, but, you know, socioeconomic levels and things like that, too. And, and I look at our kids, and, and even within our own school, you know, we have a school here that's really high in low socioeconomic status. And we have schools and neighborhoods that are on the high end of it. Guess who's getting more opportunities when they're at home? And, and it's not surprising of that, you know? And so I, I always take that with a grain of salt when I hear, well, these Silicon Valley execs are doing this. Well, yeah, because their kids have opportunities when they come home. You know what else those kids are doing? They're sailing. My kids don't have that opportunity to go sailing. Yeah. So that's, a, that, that's always been a frustrating thing to me when I, when I hear that argument of that too. You know, a school's job is to provide opportunities for kids to learn in, in today's world. And people would argue, right, that's the parent's job. Well, the parents can't always provide that, but a school might be able to. Anything else on that topic? All right. That's a little bit about social media in there. Um, that's one part that I'd be interested in seeing is the social media aspect of things. Um, just as married couple we talked about man these people are going on a lot of vacations and it gets a little bit depressing at times because you always you always see the snapshots of the best parts of their lives mm -hmm. well you're not you don't see the they've been saving for this vacation for two years you don't see you don't see all that hard work so that aspect of social media does kind of scare me you're always seeing the highlights of people and you're not getting those highlights and so like it said in here the anxiety and depression stuff and i can definitely get that feeling sometimes of man oh man why am I not getting all this stuff why don't I have 20 Twitter followers <laughs> <laughs> living, living the high life right it's little, come on people come on people come on people that the FOMO right it's that yeah. fear of missing out it's well and you forget you forget that that 
uh, friend A posted on that they went on vacation. Well, didn't friend A just post something else about how great it was? No, probably not. It was friend B. And then friend C right. posted something the day before, and friend D posted something the day before. You, yeah. That processing of all that information leads to a lot of, uh, man, man, why am I... Why am I not getting that new car every year? Why am I not going on that trip, that three-week trip to Napa or whatever? Um, it, that social media aspect to me is, is a little bit scary. And it'd be interesting to see if, well, and I don't do a lot of research on the subject, but what information there is out on social media and mental illness sort of. Napa's just downtown, isn't it? I was going to say, you go to, you go to Napa yeah. right downtown for yeah, three I, I go there all the time. I try to get was, something for the car. I was thinking Napa Valley. Oh, oh okay. There, you know, and there are studies out there that I've already shown that there's a, um, a negative aspect between too much social media and, and mental health. Um, and so it's utilizing that, that realm properly. The other piece that I find with social media too that as you talk about your wife, my wife and I talk about all the time is we'll get frustrated from time to time when we see people on the other side. It's like they're constantly doing something, but then we hear from them how like they don't have any money. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I can go down your timeline and I can pretty much tell you why, you know? And, and so you, you get that piece of it too, where you open up a world to people's lives or, or you open up a door to your life and, and you know, I'm, I'm not a, a crazy social media poster. Um, I do a lot more on Twitter than I do on Facebook. Um, and I, my two Facebook followers in here can, I think, vouch for that. Do you follow, follow me on Do you follow yeah. me on Facebook? Yeah. We're I, Facebook I, friends? Yeah, I haven't unfollowed you yet. Dear God, well, I haven't posted anything on there, so that's <laughs> so why. you better not. Don't annoy me, so Okay, so my three followers in here then. Um, you know, and yeah, I do. I, I tend to post a lot more. Twitter's more my, my professional realm facebook's my my family realm and i let my wife take care of that and she's really post heavy too you know she'll get six in a year or something like that so um yeah it it, it is an interesting and i, and I like this too because this really I, I think reaffirmed what a lot of this study reaffirmed a lot of what my thoughts are is is that i think we, we take this and, and we just jump beyond the sense of normalcy, right? I mean, we just, this is evil, it's evil, it's evil. And in reality, it's, it's not. It's just another thing. I, I'd like to tie this with what Ryan had said earlier about having more students involved in teams, having that support system, you know, for, for Van to say, well, how come all these people are going on vacation? You know, it's, and I'm not. You know, as a fellow teacher, I can tell Van, Van, I'm not going on vacation all the time. I go to Bismarck once in a while. I'm not out there all the time. Maybe once a year, that's about it. But to have that support, you know, to have that, that social, you know, that positive social connection with others, uh, I think the sooner that we can get kids involved in that and realize that you know birds of a feather flock together you know find those other kids that are are like you and that you know have your values and and work like you and want to put in that time and effort um, I, I think it becomes a lot easier to, to 
take care of those anxious moments, you know, the, the depressing moments, um, getting through a lot of the tough things that we happen to have. Uh, without that, you know, things can be tough. Yeah, it's, it's scary to think about some of these kids, and a lot of them come from great households where they'll have these conversations, but some of them, the parents won't have these conversations with kids and how they're going to perceive reality. The, 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 the reality is that you should be going on vacation every year. You should be going on or getting a new car every year. Well, that's not necessarily reality. That's what your perception is. And, and so my generation, we haven't, we didn't grow up in this world necessarily. I'm, I'm adulting in this world and that's hard. Oh man, how do they get a new car? And how many times are there any ramen this week? Um, sort of like, I, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't grow up in this world of social media. So we didn't have those conversations and know what reality and what perception is. And so for some of these kids, they're getting that good conversation at home. Well, some of them aren't. Some of them aren't getting that conversation at home and they're missing those, hey, you know what, this isn't necessarily real life. You're seeing snapshots of the best of times for people or the worst of times for people. You're not seeing the daily grind necessarily. And at what point does education step in and help with those conversations, uh, start those conversations of, hey, yeah, my BFF posted this on Snapbook, Snapchat, <laughs> whatever it is, and uh, what, what, is it, what does it mean? What is the, what's her reasoning for it? Is she trying to get a response? Is she, what's going on? Um, so is that, is that the school's job or is that a parent's job? Probably a greater question of the materialistic society thing. You know, sitting in church this morning, that was something our priest actually talked about was, right, we're always looking for the next thing. And, and as educators, we're probably um, equally as bad as, as what I'm about to say next, right? It's we try to fix things so often sometimes, right? As some, uh, a student comes in with a problem, what do we try to do? We, we try to help them. We try to fix it. And, and you know, he, he talked about today, it's sometimes you just need to let go. You need to let go and let God, right? And, and sometimes I think that's the reality even for us too is, is as educators, sometimes we need to let go. We see it on social media and, and we need to realize that this isn't us, this isn't going to be us and that's okay, that's not a bad thing. You know, Ryan, you were kind of nodding your head over there at something Dan said, you wanna? Yeah, I just, I just thought, uh, you know, that that's a, that's a really good question for, you know, what's our responsibility, what's our role? I know that, um, you know, it comes down to that relationship building, you know, and actually I was just thinking what, what Mark thought too, that this should just be our, I've got a question, you know, because I think that's a really good, this is a, this is a deep question, you know. Um, so, Van, why don't you repeat your question? <laughs> For the I've got a question segment. Just kind of summarize it quick and then we can, then we can discuss more. Is the educational role or educational system's role in social media or teaching about social media? What is what is their what is our job? So, all right. I mean, we this is something I literally spent two weeks out at Mary talking about. I mean, right in local apprentice, right at schools, we are the parents. When the kid is at school, we are supposed to be the parent. 
and and I think at times that I think I don't want to say we overstep our bounds, but I think at times we are expected to be the place setter at the table for our students. They expect us to fully be the parents. I, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know what the roles because again, we can only we can only work with what happens between the hours, right, of, of 8.30 to 3.30, and then if your student has an activity from 3.30 to whenever that ends. Beyond that, if, if some kid's going to go on Twitter at 9.30 at night and light up some other kid, you know, that, that's tough sometimes. I, I, I'll go back to something that I've thought a lot about, and growing up, this was a big part of my life with music. I listen to angry white boy music. And yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Flannel shirts and <laughs> dark rooms. And, um, and I thought about when my two year old gets to be the age where he starts listening to music, do I want to be the one introducing him to that music so that I can tell them this is not your life? You don't, this is what I like to listen to to relax. Because this person is saying these really negative, uh, drug-based, violence-based, that's not, that's, it's entertainment. Or do I want to leave it to his 12-year-old friend to introduce him to that? That's kind of a, a talk I've had with myself. That 12-year-old friend might not be getting the, the same sort of conversation. So do I want to be the one telling him, hey, this is just entertainment? You have 10 years to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, earlier in that, I mean, yeah. you, you talk music, I'll give my example. I I'm, I'm, have convinced my middle kid to go to Shinedown with me. <laughs> I mean, that's my five-year-old because she loves rock music, and, and she, she likes all kinds of music, and, and my oldest daughter does too, and my boy does as well because I can turn on some songs and they'll start singing it. Um, but really, to be answer your question, I think that's a big reason why some of my favorite moments growing up, because my parents were big, right? No Guns N' Roses, no ACDC, no Metallica, right? That's all bad. It's all bad. So my favorite parts of going out and shoveling were being able to, you know, sneak my Walkman and my cassette tapes Is out. That, that was a thing. A-trap? Did you listen to I'm a little bit too young for A-trap. Not a Walkman. Uh, but I did have the weatherproofed Walkman with, like, the rubber buttons and the seal so it didn't get the cassette wet. And... And, and I, that's what I'd go do. I'd go out and listen to Metallica or whatever, you know, cassette tapes my brothers recorded off of that they were able to find from somebody else. And, and I don't want that for my kids. You know, I, I want my kids to be able to. I love that. Going back to that's what I liked with my dad. My dad listened to Steppenwolf. He listened to CCR. And, and I like that kind of still like that kind of music too today because that was fun when, when he would throw that record on and we'd sit and listen to that a little bit to be able to hear, okay, my dad did have good music taste versus some of the other crap he listened to on KFYR 550 during those days, so. Yeah, and teaching what is entertainment, what is not. This is what's entertainment value. Well, that, that's happening all along though. Mm-hmm. You know, you said before, you know, come on people, come on people. Yeah. You know, that influence is already happening even without sitting them down and saying, this is acceptable, this is just for entertainment, you know, this is not acceptable. You know, by by being around us, by that example, mommy does it, it's got to be okay. Probably isn't okay, and as 
educators, what is our role in kind of trying to, not necessarily, but make sure that they realize that that isn't, doesn't have to be your world. Well, I think it comes back to um, what we've been talking about every podcast and what we talk about all the time in education. It's just relationships uh, with your kids um, in school. And, you know, I think just the like for me, I'm really comfortable being really real with my kids. Like I'm pretty open with my kids. I feel like I have a good relationship and rapport with my kids in a pretty short time and being able to make you know, to bring my life into the classroom, which I know for some people is totally, they, they're, they're a teacher and then they're going to separate themselves. But for me, that's not how I operate. And I think that's, that gives some opportunities just inherently of how do you handle these situations when you can just be open, you know, that this, oh, this happened to me, you know, you can bring some real life into, you know, the classroom and you can have discussions that, are the most powerful times of the year. Like this last, you know, obviously in January when my son passed away and I got back, I I still have conversations about that and not as much with kids, but for weeks I was having really deep, good conversations with kids. And it's not just always in the really extreme times, but um, it just comes down to that relationship, I think, and to be able to, you know, if somebody especially the kids that don't have that, that leadership at home when, you know, cause for most kids, we have a general idea that that's going on when they have a tough home life. Some kids are really good at covering it up, but, but other kids, you know, to just be that person there that, that they can turn to because we only have eight thirty to three thirty, but we have eight thirty to three thirty. That's all. That's a lot of opportunity to make some really big impact. Anybody else? I think when you have those conversations in a classroom, there's a lot of perspectives that are being shared. When you have it in your home, it's a very one-sided perspective oftentimes. I think about how I was raised. It was very, um, I don't know what you call it, maybe things were black and white. They were either good or bad. And you either could do it or you couldn't do it. When I was raising my kids, it was more about, let's talk about it. I wouldn't necessarily say you can't do it. I'm not going to really advocate for it either. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the good and the bad. Um, the times change. And I think that in that classroom, when you have that discussion, you have kids coming from all varieties of backgrounds. So as a, as a participant in that classroom, you're now hearing a lot of perspective. I, I see advantages to that. You're not getting that just one-sided that you get at home. And as an individual, you can begin to process that. I can see some negatives to that as well. As a parent, there's part of me inside going, well, why am I saying this? Because, you know, I have to be willing and open as a parent to my kids being exposed to many different perspectives. But reality is they are either way. Right. Whether I advocate for it or not, they're going to get that perspective. And on, on that side of the argument, what better time for it to happen when they're still coming home to you mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. to wait until college yes. and or the workforce and they move out and now it's, you know, 
way more difficult, mm-hmm. you know, than if they can come home and, hey, this is what we talked about in school today because this conversation just happened, you know, that that's a possibility. It might not happen in most homes, but that that's that possibility. Well, the nice thing is, too, as we go back to the, the I write the social media piece, when it's happening in school, if you have that good relationship built, you've given your students that, that safe zone, that safe place for them to have that conversation where they know they can bring up that topic, they can bring up that thing, they can and, and address that in a, in a safe way. Um, Susan and, and Ryan received a, a thing to go speak at um, Governor Burgum's Innovation Summit, and so Susan and I were emailing back and forth, and, and that was one of the things that I told her to talk about was talk about how you can take your fourth grade kids, a classroom of 28, whatever it is she, she had this past year, and how you can turn them into a family, you know, where those kids can come in and they can talk about their problems and their issues and ask those tough questions. Because a lot of kids, and I'll speak for me, there are questions I would not have asked my parents because I would not have felt comfortable doing that. And I hope that my kids are comfortable asking me, and if not me, at least their mother, you know, in in that having that environment to do so. I got that was a good serious conversation. Weird for Uh, us. That got deep. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you know, some of some of the things with technology that we have now makes it easier for kids to to contact us you know it, it back in the day you would raise your hand and you know whatever you said everybody heard mm-hmm. now unless you are unless you mistakenly hit reply all um, you know it, it's a conversation between you and the instructor um, and that makes it, you know, to me, I would think that would be a little bit easier if I can contact an individual and then have that conversation back and forth and and not have to involve all of the class if it's something, you know, personal or something that I'd rather not have the entire group, you know, listening to, uh, again, the technological, you know, perspective of, there are some advantages to it, um, reaching out and finding individuals that that will support you in a positive way. You know, they may not be in your household or at your school or neighborhood, whatever, but the folks are there, and now there's an opportunity or a way to do that. Uh, back then, you know, the 1-800 hotline of, of whatever. And And you can... Uh, you can be the silent observer in a conversation um, that now has an impact on you and you can take time to think about what you want to say and how you want to say it and then send that response it doesn't it's not just that at the point right now I have to be ready I have to be willing to share it but I can process it and I really do want to talk about X Y or Z situation whatever it was and and take the time to write it and set up either continue the conversation digitally or set up a, a meeting or something like right. that. Right. All right. Um, we'll wrap it up there. A couple plugs I want to just throw in here based on our conversations we had today. But 
Um, one is, is my brother has a podcast called Off Duty ADs, and, and it kind of goes with the, the sports conversation that we had today about you know, some of the what is the meaning of sports, trying to get more people engaged. And, and obviously it's, it's three activity directors, and, and they dive a lot deeper into the conversation that we were having today. Uh, through many podcasts, many casts that they've had. And, and so I recommend trying to listen to those guys. Um, you have to listen to my brother, which is an unfortunate thing, but the other two guys are pretty smart. So he was worth, my, worth he was my second best 12 year old baseball coach <laughs> in Valley City. <laughs> Anki was the first, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if Mark, if you're listening to that, you're still number two. Um, and then the other thing too, based on our last piece that we had with the I've Got a Question, uh, Beulah Superintendent Travis Jordan just released a book, and, and I've read it. It's a quick read. It took me about an hour to get through it. Um, it's called Connection Over Conformity. Phenomenal read. I'd recommend it for everybody um, to, to read, especially those of you that that last conversation that we had that that resonated with. Um, Travis has a lot of personal experiences, a, a lot of good, very, very good thoughts, but the way he's able to relate to how he wants to help educate students is... I, I, phenomenal is probably the best word I can use right now, and that's an understatement of what he's shooting for. So, um, Travis Jordan, Connection Over Conformity, uh, take a look at that as well. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Episode 6. Hope that everybody's enjoying their summer. Um, again, if you go to simplecast.com, do a search for Summer Soundbite. I have a couple links on there to suggest a topic, provide some feedback. Um, if there's something you want us to talk about, please, we hope you know you do that. Spread the word on us. That's probably the best thing we can do. You know, if you want people to listen to some talking heads, talk about different things in education, we would obviously love to have you there. Um, anything else, you know, continue to find new ways to live in perpetual beta. For Ryan Van, Julie, Mark Perry, and myself, until next time, see ya.